If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be reading the first 10 verses of the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, this is Matthew 28, starting in verse 1. And the Word of God says this. It says, Now after the Sabbath... As it began to to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Just as he said, Come, see the place where he was laying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me. Please be seated. There always seems to be a big question that hangs over Easter Sunday. It is a question that, that even today I think the world tries to, tries to muffle, uh, muffle down and tries to distract us from this question. We, the world may use the, the bunnies and the egg hunts and, and the, the Easter hams and baskets full of candy to distract us from this question, and yet the question still remains. What are we to do as we stand before the empty tomb? After all, that's what Easter is all about, isn't it? On this day, almost 2,000 years ago, both women and men stood before an empty tomb and asked themselves, what are we going to do about this empty tomb? Thankfully, our passage reveals to us what, that there was, revealed to us that there was someone at the empty tomb to answer this question. And this morning, I want us to focus on the words of the angel who spoke to these women at the empty tomb. Let us look again at what this angel said to these women. He said, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come now and see this place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the the dead, and behold, he is coming ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Even today, as we ask ourselves the question, what do we do with this empty tomb? The angel calls back to us and gives us these two commands. 
The first is come and see. And the second is go and tell. So let's dive into these two commands and think about what they mean for us even today. It begins with come and see, and we see this in verses 5 and 6. It says, you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Come and see the place where he was laying. First and foremost, we have to acknowledge that the tomb was empty. I love this about the angel. He didn't say, he didn't say, hey, he's not here, he's risen. Just take my word for it. Don't look, don't look. Just take my word for it. Sometimes you ask a child and you say, hey, did you clean your room? And they say, yes. And then you start taking a step towards the room. And they go, just, da, 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 da. just trust me. Do you trust them? No. But that's not what the angel did. The angel said, Jesus is not here, he is risen. Look. Look for yourself. Look with your own eyes. Come and see that the tomb is empty. Have you ever thought about it for just a moment? There was a lot of people in the world at this time that did not want Jesus to be alive. The Romans didn't want him to be alive. Of course not. If Jesus rose from the grave, well, that's something that no Caesar had ever done throughout all of history. And if this Jesus does it, then there must be something to this Jesus. So the Romans don't want Jesus alive. The Jews, they don't want Jesus alive. Because who was their Messiah supposed to be? Their Messiah was supposed to be a soldier, a warrior, a king like David who was going to remove Rome and, 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 be, and establish this, this kingdom on earth that, that would never end. Their Messiah couldn't be this Jesus, this teacher who never owned a home, who, who traveled all over the place, who had been crucified by the Romans. In fact, virtually all of the world did not want a resurrected Jesus, and yet all they had to do to stifle this whole Christianity, to ruin this whole movement, to, to get all of it in the past and in the rearview mirror was what? Show them the body of Jesus. Show the people, look, he's still in the tomb, or look, we moved his body over here. That's all they had to do to get rid of Christianity. And this whole movement that they called the way is just show that Jesus was still dead. But they couldn't. Think about that for just a moment. All of the military of Rome and Jerusalem, all of the Sanhedrin, all of the Pharisees, all of the people, no one could show them the body. And the tomb was empty. It was most definitely empty. We look at John chapter 20 and we see even Mary herself did not know what had happened to that body. She said over and over again, someone has taken the body and we don't know where they have laid it. But the angel did know. The angel said, he is not here, but he is risen. In fact, all of the signs pointed to a resurrected Jesus and not merely a stolen body. 
Let me read to you from John chapter 20 and verses 6 and 7 says this. It says, And so Simon Peter also came, following after John. And they entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been on his head was not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in the place by itself. And so we see this Jesus whose body is now missing no longer is, is not only missing, but it is missing from its wrappings, from the things that had been tied in and bound in to keep it all held together. Wouldn't you think if you were going to steal a body and they had already tied it up nice and neat for you where you could just throw it over your shoulder that you would have left it that way? But instead, they walked in and saw the very things that Jesus' body had been wrapped in still there. As though the person no longer needed them. But there's more than an empty tomb that we can look at, that we can come and see. Not only is there the empty tomb, but there are the disciples themselves. I want to give you a picture of what the disciples were like after the crucifixion. In John chapter 20, verse 19, it reads this way. It says, When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Think about this for just a moment. The disciples... In the midst of all that had happened over the last few days, from Good Friday until the evening of Easter Easter day, these men were shut up, hiding. They were afraid of their, their comrades, of their brothers and sisters. They were afraid. They were afraid of what might happen to them. But after seeing the risen Savior and being filled with the Holy Spirit, whom He had promised, we find a very different group of people. Jumping over to the end of Luke, we read these words. Or excuse me, in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 4, we read these words. And, there were, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And as the Spirit was giving them utterances, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astounded, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each one of us hears in our own language in which we were born? Think about this for just a moment. Wrap your mind around what the transformation that is happening here. Disciples who were once scattered when Jesus was arrested, hid when he was crucified, shut themselves indoors when he was buried, are suddenly in the streets boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, clinging to this message even to the grave. What a transformation we see and we experience from this passage. People who were scared, bewildered, scattered are suddenly bold and empowered, speaking a multitude of languages that they could not speak and are willing to take the name of Jesus even to their own grave. Huh. That's unusual, isn't it? Something must have happened to change their opinion. 
Something must have happened to give them that boldness. Surely they must have seen or experienced something that would take them from scared and bewildered, hiding behind locked doors, to boldly proclaiming, even if it meant their own death. What could it be? If not, they did, in fact, see the risen Lord. Let's dive deeper. Because even among those disciples, there was one disciple in particular that I think is interesting, and his name is Peter. Now, if you know anything about Peter, Peter was, was kind of one of the main disciples, kind of the leader of the disciples. He had a very close relationship with Jesus. He was part of a, an inner circle of three. And even though he was in that group, he kind of had issues. He was very zealous, but didn't always get his responses right. In fact, even when it comes to the very end and Jesus has been betrayed and he is going through the the trial and and they're, they're beating him and they're doing all sorts of things to Jesus before he even goes to Pilate, we see that Peter denies even knowing Jesus. To the point that he he swears and he invites a curse upon himself if in fact he did know Jesus. But I want you to look at the transformation in Peter. Indeed, we have a a man who caved under the questions of a servant girl is now standing before the entire Sanhedrin. The entire group of religious leaders, the entire Jewish council, really, honestly, a group that could easily have him put to death. Look what he says in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by his name, this man now stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Even their response, even the Sanhedrin's response to his confidence about seeing the resurrected Jesus takes them back. Look, look further into verse 13. He says, Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. What brings about that kind of change? How does this happen in a man's life? How does he go from from hiding and rejecting and denying even knowing somebody to then standing before the very same people, the people that have the power to kill you in a place where they have the power to do so and say there is salvation in no other name for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which you, you can be saved. 
His confidence was so great and so amazing that the Sanhedrin was like, who is this guy? How is it that some fisherman from Galilee can stand before us with such boldness? Well, I think there is a reason. And that is Peter had seen the resurrected Jesus. We look at Peter and we see an insignificant fisherman from Galilee, one who failed Jesus many times and denied him in his darkest hours. And yet he became the bold apostle who would help change the world. Do you need more? I'll give you one more. Look around the room. Yeah? We don't have Peter or John or James or Paul or Matthew or any of the other disciples in the room today. But look around this room today. Inside this room are countless stories of how Jesus changes lives. And as you look around this room, there are stories of people who have been through the darkest times in their lives. And yet God has done a mighty work in them. You look around this room and you see people that have been delivered from unbelievable things, have had their lives completely transformed. See, the evidence is in this room that Jesus is alive. Because we see people in this room who came to believe that Jesus was alive and it changed everything. In this room, there are people who have felt helpless, heartbroken, alone, and adrift. And they have all been transformed by the power of Jesus' name. Psalm 34, 8 says it this way, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is he who takes refuge in him. If you need more proof that Jesus is alive, talk to your neighbor. Talk to the one who brought you today. Maybe drug you kicking and screaming. And say, how do you know Jesus is alive? And they may give you a simple story. They may say, there was a time in my life where I knew I was lost. And I heard the gospel. And it stirred something up in my heart and I knew I had to give my life for him. That's a great story. It may be a longer one. I will guiltily admit that some of us just like to talk more. But rest assured, as I look out at you and you look back at me, I see faces that I know have been transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is evidence of the resurrection. See, the angel invited them to come and see. And there was a reason behind this. It wasn't just so that they would see the empty place, but he told them to come and see because he wanted them to believe. And that's true for us today. Today, you have to answer the question for yourself. What do I do with the empty tomb? What do you do with the, the things I've even talked about today, with the, the, the empty tomb that that's, has stayed empty? 
What do I do with the the witness of the disciples and of Peter? What do I do with the lives that have been transformed all around me? Do I reject what I see and experience? Do I reject what I taste and see and continue to live in darkness? Or do I take what I can see and believe? See, that was what the angel wanted. The reason the angel invited those women to come and see where he had been laid was because he wanted them to believe that Jesus is alive. And that's exactly what what, what we want you to believe as well. We want you to believe that Jesus is alive. And there's a reason why we want you to believe that Jesus is alive, because if Jesus is alive, then everything that he said is true. That everything that he said is true. That the word of God is true. If Jesus is alive, then he accomplished his mission. And if he accomplished his mission, then he did, in fact, pay the price for sin. And he did, in fact, become the ransom for many. And he did, in fact, make a way so that we might have a relationship with, with God. See, Romans 10, 9, and if you've been in this church a while, you know that I I quote that pretty much every Sunday because we need to hear it pretty much every Sunday, and it's this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I want you to think about the last part of that passage for just a second. What did it say we had to believe? We have to believe that God rose Jesus from the dead. Because that's what matters. Because when we believe that, if you can believe for just a moment, if you can believe, actually, I don't want you to believe it for a moment. I want you to believe it for your whole life. If you can believe for just the rest of your life, that's all I'm asking. That Jesus did, in fact, rise from the grave, that he is, in fact, alive, then guess what? It is super easy to believe all that other stuff. Because if God could raise Jesus from the dead, then he can do all that other stuff. And if you will believe that, if you will take what we are looking at, what we can see from Scripture and just from the world around us, if you will believe from what what the angel is inviting us to come and see, then you can believe all that stuff and hopefully you can trust God enough to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. But I want you to think about this for a second. See, the angel said, come and see. Come and see where he was laid. Come and see that the body's not here. Come and see that Jesus is risen from the grave. And then what came next? Go quickly and tell the disciples. The second command is to go and to tell. Immediately the angel tells them, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. With the invitation to come and see comes an obligation to go and tell. And indeed, every single person in this room, if indeed you are in Christ, and if indeed you can see and believe, has a commission to go and tell the world that Jesus is alive. After all, the tomb is empty. The wrappings and the face cloth are wrapped up and folded neatly. 
The disciples testified to these things. Paul himself even said this in 1 Corinthians 15, that he, being Jesus, appeared to Caiaphas, which is Peter, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. I just love that about Paul, by the way. I love that in his talking to the church in Corinth, he says, listen, Jesus is alive. He's appeared to Peter. He's appeared to the apostles. Oh yeah, he's appeared to like 500 people and some of them are still alive. You could go talk to them. That, that works, doesn't it? If I say, if I say, you wouldn't believe what happened. I was driving the other day and suddenly I looked over and the car next to me was being driven by a chicken. I'm, I'm telling you, there was a chicken driving that car. And you're like, no, and I said, you don't believe me? And, I, and, I, and you said, no. And I went, ask Colton. He was in the car with me. You might believe me a little bit more because y'all trust Colton more than me. And that's exactly what Paul is saying, only when the chicken. It's a little, believe it or not, the resurrection sounds a little bit more believable than that, doesn't it? He said, listen. In fact, what he says is, the things that I've given to you is of first importance. Is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and that he appeared to the apostles and that he appeared to 500 people at one time, some of whom are still alive. And then Paul says this, and then he also appeared to me as one who was untimely born. See, Paul was an eyewitness of the resurrection. He saw Jesus face to face. We tell the world about the empty tomb. We tell the world that Jesus is alive. And we also tell the world that it is only through Jesus that we must be saved. Do you remember what Peter said to the Sanhedrin? That there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. See, the world needs to hear that. That there is salvation in nothing else. The law will not save you. Buddha will not save you. The words of Muhammad will not save you. The Republican Party or the Democratic Party will not save you. Your good works and good intentions will not save you. If you are trying to create your own meaning in life, it will not save you. Only Jesus saves. Peter's just echoing the words of Jesus himself. In John 14, 6, it says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. The world needs to hear from you that Jesus is alive, that it is only through Jesus that we can be saved, and lastly, the world needs to hear that he is coming back again. In fact, we must realize that God is only going to extend His grace for so long. There are many who may think that this world is going to go on and on forever. And that we don't need to worry about something like judgment. 
or the return of Christ. Now, personally, I don't even know how you can believe that looking at the news today. The reality is we are not promised tomorrow. And so we must share the good news about Jesus to everyone and warn them not to wait to respond. We say this a lot here, and that is that no response is still a response. And if you choose to delay and choose to wait, you are making a choice. See, Jesus is coming back again. And we have no idea when it is. In fact, look at Jesus' own words in Matthew 24, starting in verse 42. Jesus says, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been alert and he would have not allowed the house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. We have been called, indeed commissioned, to go and tell. And we know neither the day nor the hour when Christ returns. But if you have come and seen, and in doing so you have believed, then I pray that the Lord will find you going and telling the world about Jesus. Come and see, go and tell. This is the invitation and the command of all who draw breath. And that's what's neat is that's exactly what the women did. The angel invited them to come and see and then go and tell the disciples. And and they did and they left in, in a hurried state. In fact, it says that they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And they ran to report to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. How about that? You ever think about this for just a second? They did exactly what the angel told them to do immediately, without delay and without hesitation. And because they did what the angel told them, they saw Jesus face to face. And in doing so, they worshiped him. What about you who are sitting here today? When you are given this invitation and this commission, this invitation and this command to come and see and go and tell, are you going to say, maybe later, after the egg hunt? Or maybe when all my kids are out of, out of uh, well, for you, out of diapers, for some of you out of school. Or maybe it's when, when I retire and I've got more free time. For those of you retired, do you have more free time? Nah. I've heard retired people say, I never knew how, I don't know how I had enough time to work. It's after your kids grow up, after you're an empty nester, 
after you, you retire, after, after the next thing or the next thing or the next thing? Or is it now? See, the women, it said that the women left the tomb quickly. Today, I'm asking you today, will you come and see? Will you give the claims of the Bible and all of the, all of the evidence and all of the things that stack up that show that Jesus is indeed alive? Will you take the time to come and see them? Would you consider these claims of Jesus and the apostles, the scriptures, and even your friends in this room today? Would you believe and place your trust in Christ? Would you go and would you tell? Taking the name of Jesus with you to a lost and dying world so that they might know him. Our scripture shows that when they went and did what God, what God through the angel told them to do, they saw the resurrected Jesus. We invite you to that today. Come and see. Go and tell. And experience the power of the resurrected Jesus in your life. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, God, I cannot think of better news that has ever been spoken then Jesus is alive. God, we praise you today. God, I pray that each and every one of us today will take a moment and consider the words of the angel. Lord, that we would recognize that his words were true. That Jesus is alive and that because Jesus is alive, we've been called to something great. And God, I pray that, that we would see the evidence and in seeing it that we would believe. But God, also I pray that we would have the heart, the desire, even the, the burden to go and make this good news known among the nations. Lord, I know that everyone in this room is at a different place. Lord, that there are some people that need to begin to see that Jesus is alive. Lord, I know there are some in this room that they have come and they have seen and they, and, and they need to surrender their lives to you. They need to believe and confess Jesus as Lord. And Lord, I know that there are some in this room that need to quit making excuses, but need to go quickly and tell others that Jesus is alive. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room, no matter where they are in that spectrum, Lord, that they would look to you. Lord, that they would feel the Holy Spirit and, what the, and the burden that he is placing on their hearts. And God, that they would respond accordingly. And however you are calling them to respond, that they would do so right now. Not after lunch, not after the festivities, not in a week or in a month, but now. That they would go quickly 
God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.